The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. Good day. You're listening to America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. I am Carrie Weber, executive editor for America Magazine. And I'm Kevin Clark, chief correspondent, sitting in for Father Matt Malone today. And each week we offer you the news and analysis from the intersection of the church and the world gathered by our team at America Magazine. And we have an all-American team today. Uh, we have Colleen Dully here with us, one of our producers on the show. Mm-hmm. Well, Assistant producer. Not this, not <laughs> I'm I'm your your producer worthy. Thank Not you. this show. Our our video programs that we do at, mm-hmm. uh, and our our own audio programs at America uh, inside that, the Vatican. Our wonderful podcast. Colleen yeah. wears many hats <laughs> under the title of assistant producer. Apparently, not regular yes, producer. Yes. Um, but it's um, and we're glad to have you on the show. Thanks. And later in the program, we will be speaking with another of our colleagues, uh, Olga Segura, who will be talking about her article uh, that was recently published for um, in in line with Black History Month, but is relevant uh, and has been relevant for some time now uh, about the Catholic Church and Black Lives Matter and what um, what each can learn from the other. Olga, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me on. Now, you have this wonderful feature article uh, It's up on our website now and in a recent issue of uh, the magazine, which we've timed to Black History Month, but which uh, you've been working on for some time because the topic has long been relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called What Black Lives Matter Can Teach Catholics About Racial Justice. Uh, so what, what uh, made you want to tie the church and this movement together in the first place? I think what inspired me to kind of write this piece was I've attended a lot of these marches um, in the sense the or since the Black Lives Matter movement was born in 2013. Um, and then as I was, you know, talking to people within the movement and then kind of thinking about the church's role in um, the ways that the church has talked about race, I thought to myself, there there has to be some way that these communities have to be in dialogue with each other um, because you have a lot of young people who are running this active, who are running this movement um, really talking about race in a profound way. But then you also kind of have the church who has a history like, you know, you guys just talked about Dan Berrigan. We have this history of activism and organization. Um, but why haven't these movements entered into dialogue with one another? And then especially last year when the bishops formed the ad hoc committee against racism and then announced that they would be uh, writing this letter, which came out in the fall of 2018. I'm sorry, the committee was formed in 2017 and the letter came out in 2018. Um, one of the things that happened in Florida was that a lot of young black Catholics told bishops that were gathered um, at the meeting in the summer that formed the committee was like, you know, you guys have to engage with this movement and you have to start taking it seriously because it's something that's it's a it's an organization that's being led by young people like us. So I wanted to kind of just see how the movement and the church were in dialogue with each other and just talk to black Catholics about their thoughts about the church and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like one of the most comprehensive pieces I've ever seen about <laughs> Thank you. Black Catholics and their views on this. Do yeah. we? Do we? Can we say how well the church is doing on this issue? Or is it? I mean, did they wrote they wrote their letter on racism and and I hate to say this, this is one of those things that the bishops love to do is they get a committee together they they publish something they send it out and then 
you know, it, it crickets in a few months uh, on, on whatever the particular issue happens to be. Mm-hmm. I think I definitely commend the bishops for writing the letter. It's their first letter in almost 40 years. Um, on this topic. On this topic, on the topic of uh, racial justice in the church and what the church can do. Um but I think, and this is something that a lot of the black, black Catholics I spoke to, spoke with expressed also, it's not enough. They A lot of them were frustrated, one, because they announced this committee and then said, we're going to come up with this, we're going to come out with this letter almost a year later. And there was no kind of transparency. No one knew what the bishops were doing. No one knew who the bishops had talked with. And one of the biggest frustrations is how are you going to do any kind of work if you're not involving us in this process, if you're not actually talking to people? Um, But I do think that one thing I did appreciate coming out of the fall was that they did provide people with resources. They provided people with, you know, resources to talk to kids in school about race, resources to talk to people in parishes about race. So it's not as if they're not giving us uh, the tools to talk about race in America. It's just getting it out there. They're kind of having a problem doing that part. Right. Well, and so, uh, yeah, it's interesting because at a certain stage, like the individual bishop's not going to go to every parish and say like, okay, everyone gather around me. I'm going to tell you about race. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's up to, it's, it's got to be a, like a groundswelling, uh, like a grassroots effort as well. Like right. everyday Catholics have to be a part of this. It can't just be like, well, the bishop told me I shouldn't be racist, so I guess I won't be racist. <laughs> like <laughs> right. the the interesting thing um, when in the interviews with a lot of the people that you spoke with, like, I think I, I got the sense that a lot of people saw the document as kind of like like a primer, like a first step for a lot of people, and a lot of the people who are really into the uh, involved in activism around racial justice were beyond that already so mm-hmm. they were maybe hoping for more do you do you think it's it serves as a better document for people who maybe are have been less involved in this issue that they need to start from like a place that's a little bit i don't know quote unquote behind where some of the activists are yeah definitely i think for people who have been talking about this, for people who have been involved in this kind of activism for years, they th- they were disappointed by the letter. They thought that the letter didn't go far enough. They thought that the tone of the letter um, wasn't explicit enough. Um, and they really wanted people to... I, had, I spoke to one woman who said that she felt that the bishops were holding the hands of white Catholics um, because they wanted to make sure they didn't offend anyone. And I think if you are someone who has never engaged in this kind of conversation, if you are someone who is very uncomfortable with just kind of acknowledging your own privilege and acknowledging the ways that you've benefited from it, I think the letter is a good step. But I think I'm afraid that what's going to happen is a lot of people are going to read the letter and say, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I acknowledge this and that's it. You know, And I think that, again, is where I'm like, okay, bishops, well, what are you going to do? You created this letter that's very much for a specific audience. I think it's very much written for white Catholics, white Christians in mind. Um, So then how are you going to challenge them further, you know? Right. It seems like with these documents, um, the church is often willing to go up to a certain point. But then once it gets to the point where you have to start challenging, especially white Catholics to, Mm -hmm. sorry, uh, to, you know, challenge their own privilege and and maybe examine how they're benefiting from it Mm -hmm. and also, you know, try to see what they can do to, like, give some of that privilege up that is a point that that it seems like we see the church run up against a wall with they're not they're not usually willing to to make that step yeah, yeah. i mean this is well that's that's on any number of, of issues uh, on 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 wealth affluence you know right, poverty right. and i'm thinking you know this is probably a stereotype 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm raised in New York. Uh, I come from a family of cops and firemen. So many uh, police officers, at least here in the Northeast, I presume in other parts of the country, St. Louis, uh, Ferguson, perhaps, where we, we had so many problems, uh, are Catholic. They're Irish and Italian and German uh, descent Catholic. So uh, it does seem like we're in a very – the church is in a pivotal role or could be if it wanted to where it could mediate because it has – it has tendrils in, in both communities. It has it has uh, parishes that are peopled with uh, you know Catholic cops and African American parishes uh, that are you know, people feel uh, that this movement needs more attention. And I, I don't know if that's happening, but it, it seems is. like it ought. There's to. a movement in St. Louis out of St. Louis University where uh, they recognize this exact thing. It was mm-hmm. just starting the last time I checked in on it, but yeah, they noticed that a lot of these cops are are of Irish and Italian descent and, yeah. you know, That's as, why I didn't want to say it's stereotype. <laughs> but civil service was a pretty easy way out of poverty. Yeah, and they started like, like a dialogue and awareness training program. Um, yeah, that was just getting started when I last checked in on it, which was, I guess, in May of last year. I don't know, Olga, you helped me with that article yeah, a little no, bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and honestly, I think when people ask me, well, what do you think the, how do you think that the Catholic Church can help, help the Black Lives Matter movement? And I think that's it, right? I think that Right now, you have the communities that are very you have communities in this country that are very distrustful of police departments um, and for very valid reasons. But, you know, we can't completely abolish these systems that we have. So how do you get them to work together? You know, and Black Mm -hmm. Lives Matter has resources for that. They have tools where, you know, here's how you combat police violence. Here's how you address issues of police brutality. But. The church can step in and just be like, okay, how do we help these communities enter in dialogue with each other? And I think that a lot of the people I spoke with are hopeful that that can happen. But again, it's going to require for the church to actually take it seriously, not Mm -hmm. just say, okay, we're going to write a letter and hope that Catholics across the country just do the work themselves. Do you get the sense, Olga, that the Black Lives Matter movement wants the church to be a part of uh, this conversation? That there's – is there – any resistance from uh, the movement for, you know, any element of sort of faith to be incorporated in it? Or is it, or since the church is coming from a place of power, does that change sort of the way that they would prefer it to be entered into that conversation? I think that they definitely, I I spoke to Alicia Garza and she's one of the co-creators of the movement. And I think she definitely expressed wanting there to be a place for all kind of faith uh, uh, systems, uh, the church, whether it's Christian or not. Um, She's definitely open to that. But I think, and you see this on both sides, there's a complete misunderstanding of what the other side represents. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, people within the movement have an idea of the church that they might see on CNN or in the New York Times and don't really have a deeper understanding of how, you know, the church has a history with activism. You know, Catholic social teaching calls us to care about these things. Um, but they're not because, again, they're not engaging in dialogue with each other. They don't know that the church cares about these things, you know, and vice versa, which is why I'm always just like, I just want to get a bishop and one of the movement leaders talking to each other because there's so much that they have in common if they just both create that space for one another. I wonder if you can talk about personally if there was anything in your reporting on this topic that surprised you, whether it was a moment of um, you know insight from one of the people you spoke to or a, a moment of clarity. I think, honestly, what was most surprising for me was how I spoke to a lot of people who shared sto- like really tragic stories of you know discrimination in the church, uh, discrimination at the hands of police. And despite all of this, 
they have never questioned their Catholic faith. They have never questioned leaving the church. And I went into it expecting to get a lot of anger and get a lot of people saying like, I don't go to mass. I don't care about this church that doesn't care about me. We're such a small um, black Catholics make up such a small number of the Catholic church in the States. Um, But that wasn't the case at all. And I was just surprised by how strong their faith was and how even for me, there were moments where I was like, oh, my God, the church is never going to change. And they were just like, no, the church is totally going to change. This isn't the worst thing we've dealt with. And it won't be the last worst thing that we deal with. Um, And there is so much they had so much hope and I was just completely blown away by that. Yeah, that's, it's got to be edifying to hear because mm-hmm. I think often people talk about being frustrated with the church for so much less than mm-hmm. what some people who have been in the church for a long time have endured, particularly racism. I remember first time reading stories of, you know, black Catholic sisters, um, women religious who were the at the end of really horrifying um, ex- examples of racism and prejudice in their own communities, like people mm-hmm. that they specifically joined as a part of the church and who stayed faithful to the church and, and even their order through all, all of that. It's a really powerful example of our faith that people can learn from no matter what their backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Now, Olka, our people are, are um, you know, this this movement was was born out of the uh, the, the death of uh, Michael Brown and Ferguson uh, and a few other very notorious uh, police shootings uh, in that it seemed like a very compressed time frame. So suddenly these things started happening. And presumably they were happening all along and they just sort of out of the public eye. Um, so I know that uh, local Catholic pastors encouraged people to get involved in, in, in protests. Were they uncomfortable encouraging their parishioners to get involved with Black Lives Matter or did they find other – ways to protest. I mean, there's a certain discomfort with the movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'd say it's fair to say among uh, white, white anybody, you know, there's the all lives matter pushback is, mm-hmm. was one of the first things that, that sort of hit the, um, the, uh, the media landscape in the aftermath. So is this, is this something that pastors uh, are willing to say, you know what, we should, we should encourage our uh, members of this parish to get involved in black lives matter, or do they feel they need to find a different way to protest the same thing. Got it. Um, before I go back, I just want to clarify. The movement itself was born out of the shooting death of Trayvon Martin in 2013. But it mm-hmm. really um, was more was galvanized more by Ferguson, which the death of Michael Brown happened a year later. Um, and there's actually dispute in the activist community about that. But I think the, the creators say that the shooting death of Trayvon Martin was really sparked this even further. Yeah. Florida shooting. Um, But I think from the people I talked to, especially the people who were in Ferguson, who were in parishes in Ferguson um, at the time that all of the protests were happening following the shooting death of Michael Brown, they said that in their, in their communities, people were open to going to protests and Mm -hmm. people were much more comfortable talking about it. I was surprised to one of the students I talked to who is from the area said that her church was involved and her. Is she our lady of Guadalupe? Yes. Yes. Um, So her church was involved. Her, her pastor was out in the streets and she had, she said fellow white parishioners were out there. So I think at the local level, um, especially if you have communities that are not just a hundred percent white communities that there are black Catholics in it. I think at the local level, you do find pastors and parishioners who are willing to engage um, with leaders in the movement and with protests with, of the movement as well. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and you talked to some of them in this in this piece, Felix uh, Cepeda, who was is a Catholic activist. Can you tell me a little bit about his story? Yeah, sure. So Felix Cepeda is a 38-year-old um, Dominican Catholic, um, and he, you know, he's has a history of activism. Um, he's been involved in various social justice movements. Um, he's very... Um, uh, explicit about uh, immigration, calling bishops to bishops and other Catholics to get involved in immigration. Um, He's big on sanctuary, sanctuary churches. Right? He is. He yeah. is. That was he made news for calling out churches in New York City, saying that they should all become sanctuary spaces mm-hmm. uh, for undocumented immigrants in New York. Um, and he's been involved in Black Lives Matter for a few years. And one of the things that was most profound about him was that. He says that he wouldn't have his activism without his faith mm-hmm. um, and that because of Catholicism, because of, you know, Catholic spaces were the first spaces that his family felt safe in when they moved to New York City. Um, he can't separate his faith from activism. And he's just always like, you know, we are called to be more because it's just a part of our faith. He never even questioned getting involved in any kind of movement because he says it's what we are called to do as Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um so he was definitely one of the most fascinating people that right, I so spoke the, with. Yeah, he sees it as, you know, it's not like a tension like, oh, is it the Catholic Church or is it Black Lives Matter? Mm-hmm. He sees that that overlap, that right, sense of right. shared uh, commitment to justice. Right. Mm-hmm. Now that makes a lot of sense. Um, did you speak to anyone who didn't feel like there was a compatibility there? It felt like, you know, that there were any methods that of one or the other that sort of would uh, exclude them from re- being in relationship to each other? Um, I did. I think... A lot of that, some inter- some of these interviews didn't make it into the piece, but I think a lot of the people were, you know, a few of the black Catholics I spoke with had an idea of the movement that was, you know, this is a very anti- anti-white movement, this is a very violent anti-cop movement, and as Catholics, we can't support this movement. And even some of the religious people that I spoke with were kind of like, you know, I don't really understand the movement, so I don't feel comfortable saying that the church should get involved in this movement. But I think a lot of that, again, has to do with the fact that the church and this organization are not in dialogue with each other. I think that mm-hmm. any tension that I saw from either side was because there was a com- complete misunderstanding of what the other side represented. Um, so I did talk to a few people that were very hesitant to just say um, yeah, the church should get involved in this organization or this organization should try to talk to the church. Um, is there a, is there a, sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy at work? It seems to me a lot of the way Black Lives Matter is defined is sort of from above, from like a media perspective. And uh, it's a sort of a decentralized, you know, to say that there's a – there's no like office of Black Lives Matter that's mm-hmm. coordinating everything around mm-hmm. the country. So it's sort of a local – uh, as I understand it, a localized movement. So each expression of it around the country is going to be somewhat different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have, you know, the way we think, and we like to think in very specific black and white mm-hmm. patterns in life. And there's a monolithic understanding that mm-hmm. the media has sort of promulgated over the last couple of years about what Black Lives Matter is. Is that hurting it? Uh, its ability to to do that sort of outreach or, or create that dialogue with with local Catholic uh, parishes or communities. I think in a way, yes, I think that you do see that a lot of and I think this is not just with the Black Lives Matter movement. I think we saw this with movements like the Occupy movement or the Me Too movement. I think that we are just now learning that in the 21st century, these movements are not as monolithic as movements of, you know, the civil rights movement or other movements. Um, But I think that that is a part of what gives it its power. I think that there are so the fact that, yes, there 
isn't one office. There's still guiding goals and principles that the organization shares with every chapter, not just in the United States, but in the entire world. Mm -hmm. And every chapter that I've spoken to, whether it's a chapter out in California or a chapter in upstate New York, they all abide by these rules. And I think the media hasn't and I'm not saying all media, but a lot of the mainstream media that we see that feed into this kind of false idea of what this movement represents, it's because they don't, they want to just think about it as this one kind of big organization. And you can't. I just think that's just the nature of movements in 2019. But I think that if you just do basic, you know, like go to their website, there are literally goals that mm-hmm. each single or chapter in this organization follows. Um, and I think that you know, could help kind of refute a lot of the negative. Well, it's interesting because the, although there are a great number of sort of organizational differences, obviously, it's sort of like if you went to one Catholic parish, you might get a very different sense of what Catholicism is than if you went to a different Catholic parish. Mm -hmm. So it could be that like a certain kind of Catholic parish and a certain kind of Black Lives Matter are somewhat at odds and a certain mm-hmm. and other versions of these these groups are obviously able to see those overlaps much more clearly um so it, it's interesting because you with with a large uh sort of unstructured organization you can't control exactly the tone and the the flavor of each group mm-hmm. it's similar with the catholic worker movement yeah that's sense. exactly if you what I was go thinking. to a catholic worker in one city it could be very different than a catholic worker in another city totally. i mean and that's specifically because it's anarchistic and right. so there's yes. n- there purposely is no nobody overseeing it but they do have the same values mm-hmm. that they're supposed to be um all abiding by um but yeah but it makes it i mean it, that's it sort of just the nature of life that it's a little mm-hmm. bit messy right when you have actual people in their own opinions and the way in which we live these things out Mm -hmm. because that's something that whenever i talk to people who are like well the black lives matter movement isn't perfect and i'm like yeah nothing is perfect anything that involves human beings is going to be flawed Mm -hmm. um but i think you know carrie you mentioned i think there's so much overlap between what the church promotes and what this movement promotes um even something there there's an emphasis on restorative justice and on caring for other people and on not just freedom for black people, it's freedom for all people, you know, and that's again, that's something that they are constantly emphasizing this. But people don't I think people are afraid of this movement and are just it's easier to view it as this super violent thing instead of actually engaging with it. Mm-hmm. Have there been instances of violence that the the movement sort of has tried to distance itself from? Well, there were a couple of shootings uh, early on that I, I you know, it's it, it's erroneous to say they're related to the movement. There were individual actors who you know, went off the edge and uh, it, tragically and, and shot some police officers. Um, I, you know, I, I'm sure the movement has made attempts to dissociate itself from mm-hmm. that sort of level of violence. Yeah. And you always have the creators whenever something like that happens. You always have the creators coming out and saying, like, again, you know, there are these incidents that happen all across the country. But this is what we believe. This is what we are promoting. We don't promote killing police we don't police we don't promote violence so that is the message that they keep trying to get out there whenever these incidents arise mm-hmm. all right uh so what's we have a couple minutes left what is something that you um hope that listeners will take away from what you heard from the activists on either side what i hope that they take away is that you know 
you have to listen to the experiences of um, both communities. You have to listen to, even if you don't, even if you're a Catholic who doesn't believe in this organization, I think that it is important to listen to them, especially because it's a community that is dedicated to people of color that is highlighting their experiences and their frustrations and what it means to be black in America in a way that no other institution um, is doing. And I think that I just want people to, on both sides, uh, to listen to each other and to just realize that, the only way forward is to talk to one another and to care about every single person whose story that I told, you know, because they matter. Um, and it's important for us to show them that. Right. No, that makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, and it, because it's it's this sense of uh, it creates a broader sense of community, like mm-hmm. a sense of of and out of community, we have greater ability to act, I think, when we feel connected to the people around mm-hmm. us. It makes makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you, Olga. We really appreciate your time, you. your effort to work on this. You've been working on this for quite some time, right? Yes, and thank you, Carrie, for working with me. Oh, you were no. you, you, an amazing <laughs> editor. That was not an effort to like... <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I just want to go on record saying that because... Yeah, it was a long process, and you encouraged and believed in me. So well, thank you. The pa- that's the power of community, right? And I think um, you know when you're talking about listening, it's to each other. It's that element of like, even if the two sides don't necessarily agree on the exact method of how to do this, now they hopefully have an end goal in mind. Mm-hmm. And when you have like a joint goal, I think there's a better chance that you can get there rather than sort of disagreeing on, on agreed. Well, now where what is there an official um, Black Lives Matter website where people can learn more and read some of those things or is that Yes, there's the blacklivesmatter.com or blacklivesmatter.org. I don't know what it is, but Black Lives Matter is in the name um, okay. and you can read up <laughs> everything there. All right, so do a little of your own research. We can tell you that americanmagazine.org is where you can find all our content for today. Uh, and you can follow us on Facebook, on social media. You can subscribe to America at 1-800-627-9533. And as always, you can join us again next week to hear all the news and views at the intersection of the church and the world. For Colleen Dully, Kevin Clark, and Olga Segura, I'm Carrie Weber. Have a wonderful day. Listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.